I want to uh, again to turn you to Psalm 46, uh, and um, as I've done the last uh, couple of couple of three times, and look particularly at verse four. Um, but while you're just turning it up, let me say how much I really appreciated Matt's um, devotion yesterday and his um, comment um, that the, the verse he was talking about and the work wonder of the love of God uh, blows our mind. And I just thought that was wonderful because uh, so often the work of God should blow our mind, shouldn't it? And the blessings of God's grace and I was greatly moved by that. So uh, thank you, Matt. And I hope that uh, our minds may be blown today as we think of the, the wonders of the grace of God uh, just now. So Psalm 46 and verse four, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Now, this psalm is a great uh, psalm. It was known as Luther's psalm. And uh, when uh, Luther was facing great problems and opposition, he would turn to Philip Melanchthon and say, come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. Uh, and I think that's such an encouraging thing, isn't it? Here's a song of faith for troubled times. It's a psalm of testimony to the world. It's a psalm for believers. And it's a psalm that was written at a time of unusual uh, trials and upheaval, but of great deliverance, um, uh, without going into the detail before. But this is as um, uh, uh, Pastor Al Martin uh, described it, the solid logic of faith. God will protect and sustain his people, whatever disaster may happen to them. And I find that so encouraging in these wicked and evil days in which we live. But what will happen to the church? And as I mentioned last time, these verses speak about the church. Verses four to seven give us the answer. He, God watches over his church and keeps her safe, whatever opposition she may face. And even though the most permanent symbols of life and stability in the world may crumble and fall, God will never forsake his own. And I think that is so encouraging. I, I've been uh, quite distressed in, in recent days by the number of Christians I've spoken to who have been really filled with fear by what is happening in Ukraine and, and, and with Russia and things and other parts of the world. And now, of course, China and Taiwan. Um, and, uh, and I've had to say to them, look, our God is the sovereign God. God is our refuge and strength. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. And all the upheavals in the natural world is just a reflection of the doubts that may fill the people of God from time to time. But in, even though troubles and trials may surround us like a cloud, we still have that peace which has come to stay, which is sure and certain. Now, in this fourth verse, we see um, three things are mentioned, particularly, firstly, the city of God. There is a river which streams shall make glad the city of God. Now, cities, sorry if this is obvious, cities are where citizens dwell. This is the king of kings city. This is Zion, the city of our God. If, if we are Christians, we are citizens of the King of Kings. We're children of the King of Kings. We can come to him and ask him for anything. 
And I find that so encouraging as we come to pray, and particularly as we pray for revival and pray for God's blessing. What more uh, wonderful thing can we do than to seek God's face in blessing? He's promised to bless his people. Uh, we can be like Daniel, who said to, said to, to the Lord in his prayer, Lord, the 70 years are up. Now do what you said and, and take us back from captivity. And God did, because that was God's promise. What a wonderful thing it is to take the promises of God and, and apply them and, and, and pray them through. Uh, and here is, uh, here is a city that is well supplied, the church, surrounded by the mighty walls of salvation and whose gates are praise. Justice and truth are its foundations and omnipotent power is its guardian and infinite wisdom is ours and in all the glory of God's grace as we praise the king and rest in the glory of his presence. The holy place for God dwells in its, in, in, in its midst. Now, David captured the city of Jebus from the Jebusites. It was a stronghold, safe and secure, but originally its king was Melchizedek in Genesis, uh, the king of Salem, the king of priest, uh, 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 the king of peace. In Genesis 14 and verse 18, he is called the priest of the most high God. And he is, of course, in Hebrews, likened to the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, our great Savior and Lord. This is God's city. But by the time of David uh, became king, the city had been taken over by the Jeb Jebusites. It didn't belong to them. It wasn't theirs. But David captured the city uh, and it became the Jews' capital in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And the ark was established. And then in the time of Solomon, the temple was built there. Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of holiness. Verse 5, she shall not be moved. And the psalmist looks beyond the physical city, which was moved and attacked. But Zion, the city of the living God, whose citizens are bought with the precious blood of his son, the Savior, are safe, the city of God. Secondly, the river of God, the river of God. Now, Jerusalem is one of the few great cities in the world that is not built upon a river. And the water supply was a constant concern, uh, a source of concern. How do you defeat a city? Well, one way in those days particularly was to cut off or to contaminate its water supply. Now, the enemies of the church have always done all that they can to attack the people of God. Sennacherib thought to defeat Hezekiah. But Hezekiah had built a conduit, an aqueduct from the Gihon Spring in the pool of Siloam within the walls of the city. And they had the pool of Bethesda as another reservoir in the city walls and the well of Engedi. But the constant cause for fear was that the water would dry up. But here in the city of God is a never failing supply, a river, a river of blessing. And time and again in the Psalms and in the scriptures, God's refreshing grace is, 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 is pictured by the coming of a river. So much so that when our Lord uh, uh, was in his ministry, he, would, he said uh, uh, that he was the water of life. And he spoke about that 
greatly, of course, particularly in John chapter 7 and in other places. What a contrast with the roaring, uncontrolled waters, the pounding of the waves of the sea, the destruction of floodwaters, the tremendous power in the movement of the waters, often destructively. And I, I for many years, was um, a pastor of a church on the, on the seaside, and we would see the waters of the waves of the sea coming in and 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 the and and the, the, the tremendous power of the ocean, tremendous power and often destructive, and much trembling as powers and nations crumble and fall, but there is a river, there is a river. And here is a picture of calmness and control and peace and blessing. Nothing can destroy the peace and security of this river and its supply for the people of God. Described in Psalm 36 as the river of your pleasures. Now, of course, for the Egyptians, the river Nile was their river and Pharaoh trusted in his sacred river. But God defeated him and delivered his people. And when he took them into the wilderness, he supplied them with water out of the rock in the desert. Or Ezekiel 47, the river that flowed from the throne of God. Not a muddy trickle or a temporary wadi like Cherith's Brook, but inexhaustible, ever flowing. The description in Ezekiel 47 is wonderful as it speaks about the overflowing grace of God until the waters are so deep that they're rivers to swim in. And when you are swimming, my friends, the only thing that can be seen or the, the prominent thing that can be seen is your head. So when we're out of our depths in God, the only thing that can be seen is our head. And what is our head? Christ, the Lord Jesus. Wonderful. Or Revelation 22 and verses one to two. The river of the water of life and wherever it flows, it brings life streams of mercy ever flowing from the Savior's wounded side. The grace of God streaming down to his people to supply their every need throughout this weary world. Or someone which speaks of the believer like the tree planted by the river of living water. Are you rooted in Christ? Are you drinking from the river of life? Now, uh, uh, Rick, in his summarizing after Matt's wonderful message yesterday, uh, mentioned those words of that uh, chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And as I'm sure many of you all know, that chorus goes on to say this, keep your eyes upon Jesus, let nobody else take his place so that hour by hour you may know his power, till at last you have run the great race. Turn your thoughts upon Jesus. Think deep of his comforting love, and the thoughts of sin and of self and strife will be lost in that rapture above. The river of God, the city of God, the river of God. And thirdly, very briefly, 
the temple of God, the temple of God, uh, the, the holy place of the tabernacle, the temple of the Most High. The center of this city is the temple, the worship of God. Jerusalem, the place where the Lord especially reveals himself to his people and in the church today, the most high God dwells with us. Matt was talking about that yesterday. Wonderful. The result of his life. He indwells us, I think Matt said. Wonderful. No wonder that is that blows our mind. The temple of God. And what do we find in the book of Revelation? The Lord Jesus Christ walking among the candlesticks, walking among the midst of his people. My friends, we may be separated by miles in different parts of the world, but we are here together praying to this God who walks amongst us and hears our prayers. We're not left to ourselves. We're not bereft of hope and comfort. The great God whose power is seen in the raging of the seas and the trembling of the mountains, upholds and comforts and strengthens his people. Let me finish by quoting from Spurgeon as he speaks about this. Let me read this to you. To be a temple for the Holy Ghost is the delightful portion of each saint. To be the living temple for the Lord our God is also the high honour of the church in her corporate capacity. Our God is here called by a worthy title indicating his power and majesty and sublimity and excellence. And it is worthy of note that under this character he dwells in the church. We have not a great God in nature and a little God in grace. No, the church contains as clear and convincing a revelation of God as the works of nature. And even more amazing is the excellent glory which shines between the cherubim, overshadowing that mercy seat, which is the centre and gathering place of the people of the living God. To have the Most High dwelling within her members is to make the church on earth like the church in heaven. My friends, what an incentive to pray. Are you a member of the city of God, drawing supply from the river of his grace and worshipping him in his temple, his house? Well, may these things inspire us and encourage us as we come to prayer today.